Today is a special Sunday for our church family. We're going to give special focus and attention to the priority of God's mission around the world. And uh, one of the things that we have begun doing annually each year is produce a, a booklet that we make available toward the beginning of the year that outlines our heart for global mission, our partnerships, our projects that we're involved in around the world, uh, as well as priorities and financial goals. This year we're on track uh, with the goal of raising $70,000 to distribute around the world to advancing God's work, his ministry globally and to meet the needs of people in all kinds of situations and circumstances around the world. There's been great progress so far as we've surpassed our midpoint of the year, but more work is to be done, and I'll share some exciting highlights and things coming up as our year moves towards concluding already. If you have not picked up one of these booklets for this year, it's called A Table for the Nations. Um, in the back of the auditorium, there are a few copies as well as in the lobby. You can grab one on your way out today and you'll understand a little better about who we are partnering with. Who are we sending money to and why? What are they doing around the world and why does that matter? You might be one of the people who sometimes asks this question. Does missions really matter? Does missions actually make a difference? And I hope today that some of the things that you'll see and some of the things that we will share with you will help speak to your heart as we engage that kind of question together. In this booklet, you will find um, a little bit of information about an organization we partner with called ERDO, E-R-D-O. And we are part of a network of churches called the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. And ERDO is an emergency relief arm of our denomination. In the last 25 years, ERDO has consistently been named one of the top charitable works in Canada um, not by Christian charitable evaluators, but by Maclean's Magazine and other uh, journalists who study charities in Canada. Uh, they have a tremendous reputation for working hard around the world and delivering aid where it's needed rapidly around the world. And earlier this year, there was a crisis in Turkey, and our church was part of responding to that, giving gifts towards it. And so I want you to see an update regarding Erdo's work in Turkey. Wonderful. I want to thank you as a church family for your generosity. As you give towards missions, we have options online, we have options on the giving envelopes that you'll see. If you designate anything generally towards missions, these are the kind of things that we support. Some of you at times feel compelled that you specifically want to support a response like that, and so sometimes people will write Erdo on a gift, designating it towards that kind of global aid and humanitarian help in the name of Jesus around the world. So thank you so much. We applaud the work that Erdo is doing, and it's, uh, it's something that we're proud of that we partner with. One of the other things that we're so excited about when it comes to missions is that this year we're seeing an increase of people engaging in missions and going on missions. And many of you will remember earlier this year we had on stage uh, a young adult woman from our church named Eliana Diable who was on her way to Tanzania on a missions trip. We prayed for her, sent her with our love and our church support, and off she went. Would you join me in welcoming to the stage Eliana Dival? Now, Eliana, you know that there was a few questions I wanted to ask you, but before I get to those, could you just tell us a little bit of uh, where you were going and what, what were you guys doing on that trip? What was the main focus of it? We went to um, Tabora, Tanzania, and the village of Inala, and our specific mission there was with the children there in the school, is about 500 kids, 
and two homes that our leader Daniel had built for two different families there like 20 years ago. And they continue to, the mamas there, as their children grow, they continue to have new children in their home. It's not an official orphanage, but the way the, the way their culture is there, like the mothers will just take in whatever child needs a home. And so it's really beautiful to support them. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Now, anytime I've talked to anybody who's gone on a missions trip, they always can think of a few ways that God really stretched them. Most people don't go on a missions trip because it's comfortable, convenient, and easy. It's expensive, it's uncomfortable, and it's inconvenient. But it advances God's work around the world. So tell us about a, a way or a time that you felt stretched by something God was doing through you on this trip. Well, the whole culture was a stretch for everyone on the team because it was so different than being in Canada. But specifically for me, going out into the village, um, we started off our week, like, our leader would go out and, like, the first day we kind of just followed and watched him do it. And he'd go up to the homes and he'd talk to the mamas and he'd say, like, is there anything you guys need prayer for? How can we bless your home? And he'd share the gospel with them and he'd pray for them and then he'd invite our team members to pray also. And for me, it was, like, I, praying for them, being bold and, like, putting myself out there as um, like sharing the gospel and praying was definitely a stretch for me. And I kind of had to step into that role because even though there was a lot of us on our team, it was a lot of maybe not strong Christians, people going for the experience, not really sure what they're getting into. So stepping into that leadership role was definitely a stretch for me. No doubt, wow. Can you imagine going door to door, strangers in a village and just getting to know somebody quickly and then offering to pray. For some of us, we think, yeah, that makes sense on the missions field. Did it, um, did it open your eyes to what God's doing here? Were things unlocked in your life there that you realized, I'm on mission here? Yeah, because like, we'd go to places like the market or just everyday life doing it with the people there, and we were always on mission 100% of the time there. Like Anyone we interacted with, it was like we were representing Christ and we wanted to do it the best we could. Yeah. And we reflected on that a lot as a team. Like, we want to be able to do that when we come back here, yeah. when we go to the grocery store or when we're on the street, like, doing whatever, to be representing Christ the same way we were in Africa. Well, that's really good. In that video that we saw, we saw so many beautiful little African children there, and you were part of helping them. Can you tell us about maybe one child that you remember or a story of somebody's life being impacted there? Yeah, um, a lot of the work we did with missions was like group work because we only had like two or four translators. And so like we did t kid, kids camps and um, we, our goal there was to like inspire creativity in the children and give them a dream, give them something to like grow in their heart so that when they get older, they have something to look forward to, something to pursue, something to work towards in their life in whatever way we inspired them, but specifically one girl, we went to her home, and it was the middle of the day, so she should have been at school, and we asked the mama why she wasn't, and there was something wrong with her feet, she couldn't walk to school, and she didn't have a uniform, and we all prayed for her, our whole team, and it was really beautiful, we gave her a pair of shoes, and we gave her what she needed to get a uniform, and the next day we saw her at school, it was wow. like, it was really cool to see Amazing. that. Amazing, yeah. wonderful, isn't that a great, great story? 
Um, yeah. I'm, I'm sure as you've reflected on this trip, there's, there's a whole bunch of highlights, but what's something that sort of rises to the top as a highlight from this experience for you? The whole thing, yes, it was amazing. Um, I would say the highlight was like working with God and seeing him work with everyone we interacted with and even with my team members. Like I said, a lot of them weren't necessarily Christians, a lot of them don't even go to church, but I grew up with them and went to school with them and then to see them grow in their relationship with God. Every day we did team devotions and each one of us led it and it was like a struggle for some people but by the end they were all like, so, so grateful for the experience. And we met like a month later at a barbecue and like all of them were so encouraged and like wanting to read their Bibles, wanting to be more like involved with God. And it was just so encouraging to see that in my friends. Yeah, like, yeah. One of the criticisms that sometimes people mention when they talk about short-term missions trips is they say, well, look at all the money spent on a short-term missions trip. You might need for a large team ten or $15,000 to send them. What if we just sent the money instead? And it's fair for people to ask that question, but every time I've talked to somebody who's had that thought and then they've gone on missions themselves, they come back and they say, now I see why it's so important for everyone who can to go because it's transformative to them. Eliana is talking about team members, a large group of people, some of which had wandered away from their faith in Jesus. And as a result of going on mission, they come back and their faith is rekindled. Is that not valuable? Is that not important? They come back. Do you think that they might go back on mission? Do you think that they might become people who support missions in the future? Absolutely, they do. And so going on a missions trip is transformative, isn't it? Now, we saw on the video some people getting baptized, and uh, for those of you who are paying very close attention, you might have noticed Eliana was one of them. And so, Eliana, would you just tell us why you decided to get baptized? One of the things we do as a church family is we celebrate baptisms. More and more, we're trying to have baptisms occur out in the community somewhere, at somebody's pool, you know, at a pool party or at the beach, at a beach party, because then it's a public display of somebody's confession of faith. This has to be the most remote baptism our church has had. Uh, it occurred in Tanzania, but we're going to celebrate that today, too. So just tell us a little bit about why you decided to get baptized. Um, I wanted to get baptized because on church, at church in Tanzania, it was Pentecost Sunday, and we went to the church there, and it was probably about the same size as this, except that they only had three walls, and then it was just open, and there was a lot of worship, and our pastor, our leader, Daniel, he preached the first half, and then our translator, Moses, preached the second half. And they were talking about the Holy Spirit and being baptized and the things you talk about on Pentecost. And I was sitting there and I was like, ah, I still haven't been baptized because I've wanted to multiple times in my life, but it's always never worked out. There's been something, a reason why I couldn't or it just didn't work for any reason. And so um, I kind of been like, oh yeah, I want to do this at some point. And as he was talking, he was saying like, when you're baptized by the Holy Spirit, you get the gifts of like tongues and prophecy and miracles. You do all these amazing things through the Spirit. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've never done any of those things. Like, what if the Spirit doesn't live in me? And at that moment, the enemy like lied in my head and like deceived me. And I was like, so, so afraid. I was like, oh my gosh. Because growing up, I knew that baptism wasn't like 
um, a salvation issue. It was something you do to draw a line in the sand to say, I want to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. This is what I'm doing for everyone around me to see and support me and show that like, this is what you do when you love Jesus with your whole heart. Anyways, and so afterwards I talked to my leader and I was like, I need to be baptized. Like, this is so important and like, I don't wanna doubt anymore because like, I love Jesus with my whole heart. And he was like, yeah, we can definitely do that and I'll see if anyone else on the team wants to. And as it happened, three other people wanted to get baptized, people who like, they wouldn't have had the opportunity here in Canada because they don't go to church and they are not necessarily like, it was just totally ordained by God because I could have been baptized years ago at a Bible camp or in another situation, but at that time, God was like, this is when she's gonna be baptized to give opportunity for these other people who, one of them, it was so beautiful, she was like, she knew about Christianity her whole life, but she had always had questions, and she said she didn't want to keep asking questions her whole life. She wanted to make a decision now instead mm. of just questioning the rest of her life, and I was like, oh, it's so That's beautiful. So good. So. That is so good. Before you leave the stage, we want to pray for you as a church family right now. And Father, we thank you for this missions trip and how it was transformative to her life and that you brought your purposes through her life, through her work as part of a team in Tanzania. Father, thank you for lives being touched and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for new courage that has begun to fill Eliana's heart as she was stretched out on the missions field to pray with people, talk with people, uh, strike up conversations with uh, strangers, be on mission in a grocery store. We pray that that kind of work would follow her here as well and that all of us would follow in similar inspiration, trusting that you've called us on mission here. Father, we thank you for her baptism, that it marks a sincere faith, a decision to follow you, a decision to give herself in covenant to you for her whole life. And so, Father, we pray now and affirm the work of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit in her life. We ask Spirit, that you would baptize her in a fresh way by your Spirit, that gifts would come alive through her life in exciting ways. Use her on mission around the world and use her on mission wherever she lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you, Eliana. We're going to pivot towards Scripture in just a moment. One of my privileges as a pastor is to officiate wedding ceremonies. And yesterday, a young couple in our church, Dakota and Matea Petty, were married. And we have a picture, I believe. Yes? We do not have a picture of them. So if you could imagine a young couple <laughs> with me at the beach. It's a very lovely setting. And uh, when you see them, uh, that imaginary couple, if you don't know who they are, if you see people who look like that, do greet them and congratulate them. Who knows what will happen? But when, if you know Dakota and Natea, please do congratulate them on their marriage. One of the things that was a blessing to me, it's a privilege to be part of their day, but as we were preparing for their ceremony weeks in advance, I was meeting with them to listen to things that they were hoping for to be part of the ceremony. And I asked them, is there a scripture that has spoken to you as a couple? And they said, you know, there's, there's lots of parts of the Bible that mean a lot to us, but we want to find something that is kind of an anchor for us and for our marriage. And so I said, why don't you get back to me in a week? And so they spent some time in prayer and searching God's word and his heart, and they came back to me with a passage from Ephesians chapter 2 about Christ, the cornerstone. 
And they just said, we want to be that house that this text is speaking of, being built together by God upon the cornerstone of Christ that is filled with his spirit. We want to be the home of God as a married couple. I thought, that's just so beautiful. And as some of you who are married reflect back on your own wedding ceremony, some of you may remember a particular text from scripture that was read at your wedding that meant so much to you. I want to share with you and share a message, a brief one with you today from Psalm 67, which is the wedding passage that was shared at Laura and my wedding 18 plus years ago. So would you turn in scripture to Psalm 67? Psalm 67. I hope everybody must have some sort of app because I don't even hear a single piece of paper aside from my own and I was already turned there. I'm just doing sympathy paper flaps, so come on people. (sighs) It's a long weekend, you get a pass, but next week bring your Bibles, okay? Um, Psalm 67, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It is living, it is active. For some of us, we do have a question in our heart. You know, does missions actually matter beyond this community? And we thank you for passages like this one and others that live all throughout scripture that speak to our lives here and also speak to our mission all over. And so we open our hearts to your word and your spirit right now in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Psalm 67, short passage, seven verses. I want to read it for you, and then we're just going to unpack a piece of it so that we understand a little bit of what's going on in this text. And then I want to draw three thoughts that I think are speaking to us today and our lives. Listen to this. And if you will, imagine Laura and I, 18 years younger, uh, and somebody sharing this passage with us. Okay, here we go. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Now, that may sound familiar uh, to some of you already. Well, I've heard this elsewhere in Scripture, haven't I? This is a sort of an echo of what was a priestly benediction or blessing from Numbers chapter 6. God being gracious, God's face shining upon. In the ancient Near East, if somebody had an audience with a king, which was obviously a fairly rare occurrence for most people, um, in some of the ancient cultures, the disposition of the king's face was very purposeful. And with their expression, they would either give uh, disapproval or approval to the guest that was coming to visit them or present something to them. And so with that awareness in Numbers 6, when it's giving priestly blessings, in Psalm 67, when it's talking about God shining his face upon us, it's this prayer that, God, when we show up in your presence, smile at us. Would you show your approval and your pleasure with us? Verse 2, that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among the nations. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples justly and you guide the nations of the earth. Verse 5, may the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. That sounds familiar. Haven't we heard that just a few moments earlier? I'm going to explain that in just a moment. Verse 6, then the land will yield its harvest and God, our God, will bless us. God will bless us and all the ends of the earth will fear him. If you've been tracking with our church family for the last several months, um, earlier this year we were in a series out of the book of Genesis. Um, We presently, aside from this Sunday, are in a series in in the book of the Revelation. And um, in both of these books, we've discovered together 
a literary device that was used by the ancients from time to time in their writing to help drive home a point and make it even more, um, you know, stand out even more. They didn't, you know, they didn't underline and italicize and put exclamation marks, so sometimes they would write things in a particular way so that the reader or hearer would notice a pattern that points to a focal point. It's called a chiastic structure, chiastic structure. I'll show you how it works here. You can see it on the screen. There's a beginning to a story or a text, and there's an end to the story in the text, and in the middle is the focal point. And the way a chiastic structure works is that the beginning mirrors in some way something occurring at the end, and then along the way, whatever happens next mirrors something toward the end, Whatever happens next, again, mirrors something toward the end, leading towards something that is not mirrored, and it is the focal point. And so we discover that Psalm 67 is written in chiastic form. So what do we see in verses 1 through 2? We'll go to the next slide. In verses 1 through 2, at the very beginning, we find that God is blessing. There is blessing from God through us to others. What do we find at the End of the text, the last two verses that we just read. Again, blessing from God through us to others. Okay, we realize God is sending a message to us through this chiastic format. But the first thing he's wanting us to notice is his heart to bless and his heart to use us in bringing blessing to the world. Now what happens in verse 3? Remember we notice something being repeated twice in this text, in verse 3 and verse 5, we have a prayer for the inclusion of all the nations. So the first part is blessing from God through us to others. And then there's these beautiful prayers. May all the peoples praise you. It's as if the psalmist is saying, we have been so blessed by you, God, that we don't want to keep this for ourselves. We want all people to know the wonder and awe of knowing you. We want all people to have the opportunity be, to be people of praise because they know you. They've experienced your heart towards us. And then that leads us to a focal point in the text. What is the focal point? It's found in verse 4. Let me read it to you. It says, May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth. What is at the focal point? It's a prayer for God's reign to be welcomed by people everywhere. So some people might wonder, does God care about missions? <laughs> does the Bible speak about missions? Does missions just sort of matter in my own community? And yes, mission in the Comox Valley is a tremendously high priority. But one of the signs that you and I have been touched dynamically by God, that we're, that we're in tune with his heart, is that we realize that what he's doing in us and for us is not just for our local community. It's part of what his heart holds for the whole world, for all the people. And so our corporate prayer is that his reign would be welcomed by all people everywhere. Amen? And that's why seeing Eliana and others go on a missions trip to Tanzania matters. That's why giving to the work of Erdo matters. You heard that story of that woman who traveled so far to find help, only to find that everything was closed. And finally, a volunteer ended up finding her and bringing her help in that Erdo video. 
She was not a follower of Jesus, but she was given relief and aid and help in the name of Jesus. And an opportunity is given to her to know this God who blesses, who helps, who cares. When we give, when we pray, when we go, we're part of God's work of bringing his reign through the whole earth. And we add to that our prayer that people's hearts would be opened to his reign. I want to share briefly with you three things I think there's so many things we could talk about in this passage, but I believe there are three things that speak from Psalm 67 to your life and to mine here in the Comox Valley today. The first is this. God's heart towards you is good. When you read this psalm, it celebrates the fact that God is gracious. People can respond in joy to his good work in their lives. There is something wonderful. There is something good that God has in his heart for people. Did you notice how often the word bless shows up in Psalm 67? It wasn't as if somebody was sneezing a lot in the ancient world and the psalmist just had to keep writing the word bless in there. The psalmist had seen that from the very beginning, God's heart has always been to bless People. Now, I understand that there are segments of church history and in the body of Christ that have sometimes given an, an embellished focus to this idea of God's blessing. And they build a, a gospel itself around this idea of prosperity. This is not what we're talking about right now. That is such an extreme that goes outside the bounds of what we see in Scripture. But we shall not be so afraid of that extreme that we miss the point that right from the beginning of Scripture, God creates people and he blesses them. He wants to give good to them. He wants to supply to them. He wants to be their source. He wants them to have what they need. He wants them to have more than enough so that they can share with others. God's heart has always been for the earth to be full of his blessing. That's what God's heart is like. And some of you this week have wondered, does God actually pay attention to me? The first song we sung in worship today talked about God calling our name. And some of you may have wondered, does he really know my name? You know, there's 8 billion people. I think there's other people he's more concerned with right now. No, he knows you. And he cares about you. And he wants to bless you. We know that in Genesis 1 and 2, God's intention was blessing. We know that in Genesis 3, we as humans exercised our option for independence and we unraveled so much that God had intended for good in the world. And so some of us might have thought, well, that might have caused God to fold his arms in displeasure at all of us. Maybe he's, he's resisting his urge to bless people now. What do we find in Genesis 12? This is after human independence. God speaks to Abraham, someone he wants to prove his faithfulness to, somebody he wants to call into covenant relationship with so he can build a covenant family. And what is the language of Genesis 12? I want to bless you and your family so the whole world, the nations of the world, will be blessed through you. God wants to bless you, and God wants to bless people through you. Second thought for you and I today from this passage God's way is actually a thing. Verse 2 says this, that your ways may be known on earth. And I feel like it's worth pointing out, especially in our day and an age, where we live in a world where everybody has their own truth. That as offensive as it might sound to some people, 
There is actually a way that is God's that is the only way. And as we learned in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, humanity does have an option to exercise another way, their own way. But any other way that is not God's, all go astray. They all go astray. So there's a couple important questions for us to have to ask. What happens when people don't go in God's way? Now, some of you maybe have had this idea of God that, well, he's, he's a mighty punisher, so as soon as you get off his way, he's after you to punish, punish, punish. No, that's not consistent with what we see most clearly through Scripture as revealed in Jesus Christ, the pure representation of God. What we do see in Jesus Christ Christ is the heart of a shepherd, that if a sheep is astray, he's running after them with his goodness, wanting to bring them back into his way. But if someone insists on refusing his help and his way and continues in their own way, it leads away from life only to death and only to destruction. The second question to ask is, well, what happens when people don't know there is another way? Romans chapter 10 engages that very kind of question. It says, anyone who puts their trust in Jesus will never be put to shame. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach or share the message unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. There is an urgency and an importance, a priority upon making sure every human alive today has the opportunity to understand that there is a way that does not lead to death and destruction. There is a way that leads to life and hope and love and joy and peace. There's, there is a way that leads to life after life, and it's in Jesus alone. Laura and I were married in 2005, and before we started endeavoring to see if we could have a family, we decided to go backpacking in Europe together in 2006. And so we spent several weeks going around six or seven different countries. I think I've told a story before from one of our trips, one of the places we were. Um, in one particular um, part of uh, Austria, which we just absolutely loved, we were outside of Salzburg, and there was sort of this hotel guest house that we were supposed to stay at. And our buses, uh, trains and buses got us as far as we were to get. And then we had to walk the rest of the way to this guest house, which was called Mostwassel. And uh, we figured we knew the way. And so off we went with our giant backpacks. And we knew the way. And here we were in the middle of some little old... Uh, village <laughs> outside of Salzburg. It was a residential area. It was very neighborhoody, And we just thought, it looks less and less like a place where there's a guest house. Uh, we don't see anything that resembles a hotel or even a hostel. It's just all these lovely little old um, Austrian homes. But we were convinced we knew the way. Uh, meanwhile, in the back of our minds, we're thinking, we can't read a single one of these German signs. We don't speak German. We don't expect them to speak English to us. And all of a sudden, uh, somebody's front door 
flung open and this dear, sweet, little, little old Austrian woman came out and started nattering away at us in German, to which we understood none of that. And so we didn't know if she was trying to shoo us away, did we look like we were a threat, and, and so... Um, now, I have some German background myself. Uh, when people speak in German, I, they, I don't know that they smile. Um, <laughs> everything sounds angry. So we were a little bit like, okay. Uh, and finally, she stopped, and she said, Maswassel? And we knew, ah, that's the guest house, yes. We said, yes, yes, yes. And she pointed and gave us a direction, Maswassel. And she did it a few times. And she showed us the way. We discovered there are many ways, none of which lead to Maswassel. But she showed us there is a way. And in the same way, in this life, there are so many ways that humans can try to figure out how to make life work. And I guess my question is, how's that going for you? If you've tried independence, I don't want to do it God's way, I don't want to do it Jesus' way, I kind of like this idea that there's all kinds of truths out there, this is my truth, I'm doing it my truth way. How is that going for you? At some point, you're going to find yourself stranded in some village outside the suburbs of Salzburg, wondering, how did we get here? This isn't what I thought would happen. I promise you, this is what happens to humans. Not a literal Salzburg, but a figurative one. You find yourself lost somewhere and you start realizing, I actually don't know the way out of here. I don't know the way to where I am to go. That leads us to our third thought from this passage, which is this. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Friends, there are many ways that people can find Jesus, but there is only one way to life. There is only one way to our Father. There is only one way in relationship with God. There is only one way into an eternity that is filled with life, a new heaven, a new earth. It is only Jesus. Listen to verse 2 from Psalm 67 again. It says, well, let's go to verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us, make his face shine upon us, that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among the nations. The word salvation stands out to me there. The, the, the Old Testament, this part of the Bible, was written in an original language called Hebrew. And the word salvation in Hebrew is a very important word. Do you know what it is? Yeshua. Yeshua. Does that sound familiar to anybody? For many people, we're like, wait a minute, I, th I think I've heard that. What is Yeshua when it's used in the New Testament? Its Greek equivalent is Jesus. Let's read 1 and 2 again. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way be known on the earth, your Jesus among all nations. Jesus came with bold claims that you as a human cannot ignore. Either he was a lunatic or he was right. And he came saying things like this. I am the way, the truth, and the life, there is no other way to the Father except through me. Yes, Jesus is a great philosopher. Yes, he's a great theologian. Yes, he's a great teacher. He has good teachings and good ways that people can try to embrace even apart from him. But at some point, you have to come to a moment in your life where you realize 
He can't just be a good teacher. He was either a lunatic who was totally off track, or he actually is who he says he is. So what do you do with him saying to you? He is the way, the truth, the life. Not a way, not a truth, not a life. He is the exclusive way, truth, and life. What do you do with that? Friends, it's only Jesus that can rescue and save. It is Jesus who flings open the door, and thankfully he's not nattering in German at us. <laughs> but he asks us, are you lost? Do you not know where to go? Are you trying to find your way? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Friends, it's only Jesus. I remember speaking with one of our neighbors years ago. Sweet person on a searching journey looking for what might be most real. And Laura and I were sitting in our living room with her. Her name's Nadine. And she starts talking about like, well, no, but I think like all religions are true. And I think everybody does have their own truth. And I, you know, I kind of want to giggle at that in front of her, but I don't want to make her feel foolish. So I just, oh, okay, that's interesting, Nadine. Actually, I've heard that from a lot of people. You know, Nadine, I struggle when I hear that for this reason, because you're saying that you don't think there's any absolute truth, but the way you're talking about it is in an absolute way. You believe absolutely that there is many ways. And that is a contradicting kind of truth. That's hard for people, I think, to have to grapple with. She's like, yeah, I guess I haven't thought about that that way before. And I said to her, you know, sometimes it's helpful, I think, to help lead people towards thought exercises. I said, as I've thought about other faith systems, I've had to evaluate, what is the end result of this? Like, what does this actually produce, this faith system or this philosophy? And I, I, I try to follow it to its nth degree and see what it produces and then weigh that out. And, I mean, you can look at things like radical Islam and go to the nth degree and think, oh, that's, well, I hope that's not true. Um, you can look at things that Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons believe and you follow it to the nth degree and you think, oh, wait, I, I actually hope that's not true. Follow Baha'i to the nth degree. Actually, I hope that's not true, too. I've thought through stuff like this. I remember a season of my life, I was in Bible college. I could write great papers and great, great, I'd get great grades. <laughs> but on the inside, I was doubting, I was wondering, I was like, I don't even know if there is a God. And if there is, I don't even know if I can trust that he's actually good. And I was in a crisis of faith, and so I actually was entertaining, thinking about other faith systems and philosophies that were out there, and I would try to go to the nth degree in them, and I, but, but where this ends, I don't like. It's inconsistent. Just a, a month ago, we had a missionary here who was talking about karma, and in our Western world, we're like, oh, karma's cool. Like, there's tip cups, karma cups. You know, do a good thing, you get a good thing. And So our westernized version of Buddhism and karma, we're like, oh, it's awesome. I love it. I'll follow that to the nth degree. It seems nice. Except when you follow it to the nth degree the way a Buddhist would. And when a nation builds itself around an idea like that, you follow it to the nth degree. And what you get is a school full of children who have special needs that the whole nation rejects. Until somebody who follows the way of Jesus finds this going on and says, wait a minute, those children shouldn't be rejected and forgotten. They are valued by a father who created them. We'll care for them. We'll pull a roof over their heads. We'll feed them. And as a church, we paid for solar panels to go on so that they have electricity all year long. 
I think that's fantastic. So, you know, yes, us Westerners like a little bit of good karma, but karma, when it follows its way through and a nation's built around it, it doesn't know what to do with people who are born with disabilities. It thinks this is their fault. If we care for them, we're interfering with karma's system. Well, that's, I don't like that. Friend, if you're on a spiritual journey, think it through. What does your atheism lead to? What does your agnostic ways lead to? What does your philosophy lead to? Some of you are thinking, well, there's a lot I like about the teaching of Jesus, but I, I just don't know if I'm there yet. He accepts people who are willing to journey and just take one step at a time. And today might be a day for that step for you. For those of you who have followed him for a lifetime, it's just time for our next step. Why? Because only Jesus. Would you stand with me together? We're going to move towards communion. There's going to be something that follows communion as well before we conclude today. But I want us to sing in celebration of Jesus, our only hope for us, the Comox Valley, and the world. How many of you are thankful for the body and blood of Christ given for you? Amen. So the next question is, does mission matter? If that message got to your life, does it matter for the other who hasn't heard yet, for the other who hasn't felt that yet, the one in this community? 80,000 people live within 20, 25 minutes of this church building in any direction. They need your witness of this message. A globe full of 8 billion people need this message. Does mission matter? Does God's mission matter? Absolutely it does. All of us can do something. All of us can pray. All of us have the opportunity to give in some way. And many of us will have the opportunity to go. Before we conclude today, I just want to share again about a mission trip coming out from our church. In October and early November, two teams, men and women, are going to be joining together with another church going to Guatemala. And today, after we see this video, I'm going to announce a special project that I want us to take on together as a whole church family. Not everybody is going to be going on this trip this year. Nine of us from our church are going. But all of us can pray for those nine and for the work of this mission. All of us can give in some way. And after this video, I want to share about a way we can participate in a project together. We're going to Guatemala to help support the work at Shadow of His Wings, which cares for widows and orphans in Guatemala. And so watch this video. Some of you have seen it before, but it's worth us getting in our minds again what our church is partnering with. Let's watch this quickly together. So the nine from our church will go and work on projects with Shadow of His Wings. And you as a church family are part of sending us. One of the things that we will be doing on that trip is building a second floor on top of one of their buildings at Shadow of His Wings. And uh, each of the last two years, we've taken on a project, one project a year as a church family, that we call Sell a Thing. One of the things we see in the New Testament is that the first followers of Christ were so committed to God's mission, they would sell possessions and give it toward helping meet needs and advance God's mission around the world. And so what we want to do practically as a church family is to see if over the next two months, for August and September, each of us as individuals or at least as households could find something to sell. And instead of pocketing the cash for ourselves this time, sell it in the name of Jesus for the cause 
of Jesus. And what if as a church family, we were able to sell enough things that we pooled together $5,000 to contribute towards the building of that second story of that building at Shadow of His Wings. So I wanna call you each as individuals, each as households and families to prayerfully, I know for myself, I nervously prayerfully look at things around the home like, oh no, Lord, not that, not that. I'm looking for the things that I must get rid of that. Let's sell that. Honey, you've had this too long. I'm, I'm going to sell that. <laughs> Whatever works for you and keep your marriage together. Um, no, let's prayerfully allow God to guide us. What should we sell this year? Uh, opportunities will be opened up on our online giving avenues where you can select sell a thing Guatemala project or you can write um, on your envelope when you have the donation from what you've sold. Um, just write on there, Guatemala Project, or sell a thing, and we'll make sure it gets allocated together. Let's stand together. Would you be willing to prayerfully consider selling something in the next two months and contributing those funds so that we can build a second floor together? I hope you will. And I want to pray as we conclude our service and as we're sent into God's mission together. As I pray, I'm going to call our prayer ministry team to come forward. Perhaps you've come today with a need in your heart and your life. Don't leave today without having somebody pray with you and pray for you. Let's pray now. Father, thank you for each person gathered here today. We give you permission to speak to each of our hearts as we embrace this sell a thing campaign for the next two months. If there's something in our household, in our possession, that you want us to release and sell for your kingdom purposes, would you guide us in that? Help us as a church family to raise the $5,000 together. Now as we go into your world on your mission, we declare our dependence upon you and our thankfulness for one another. Bless us as we go, in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. And now from Psalm 67, verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us, and may he make his face to shine upon you. Verse 2, that his way may be known on earth, that Jesus among all nations. Amen? Amen. Be blessed as you go today.